Welcome to the 79th episode of the Hondo Handy Podcast, brought to you by Surfside Deli, located just inside the Surfgate of Ocean Pines on Nicholas Lane. Call ahead and your order will be ready. 410-208-3343 or find them on the web at surfsidedallyop.com. My guest today is Sean Hall. How are you doing today, Sean? I am doing well, Hondo. How are you? I'm doing perfect. It's a pleasure to have you on. Happy to join you. Uh, Sean, let me tell my listeners a little bit about you before we get started. Uh, Sean is the Wealth Manager Management Director at PNC Wealth Management in Baltimore. He leads the Life and Breast Foundation, an organization dedicated to finding a cure for sarcoidosis, the disease that took his mother's life. As a PNC banker by day and a college basketball official by night, the Ellicott City resident performs a variety of tasks that most purposely is his role as the founder and president of the Life and Breast Foundation. His connections has allowed him to reach out to athletes to utilize their celebrity status for the betterment of Life and Breast Foundation. He came up with the idea of the flip-flop festivals and casual evening that features past and present Ravens. The event has become known as the Baltimore's best football party. Sean is active in the NCAA college basketball courts officials as an official in the Atlantic Coast Conference and many other conferences. Sean, you have had an impressive career so far. Congratulations. Thanks, Hondo. Hopefully I have some more to go. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Sean, tell my listeners a, a little bit more about the Life and Breath Foundation. So, Honda, the Life and Breath Foundation was created in 1998, and it was after I lost my mother in 1996 with the disease sarcoidosis. Sarcoidosis is uh, a disease that affects different organs throughout your body. More prevalently, it affects the lungs. So yeah. scarring, of those, uh, scarring of the lungs forms uh, granulomas called lesions, and then those actually take away the capacity for you to breathe so my mother had challenges over what we think is a 13 year period with the disease when she passed away we didn't know she had the disease Mm. so i was lucky enough living in baltimore i went over to johns hopkins university johns hopkins hospital excuse me and um, uh, did some research and found out that they had a sarcoidosis clinic that they established back in 1961 so basically doing some um interviewing with the researchers and the doctors and everything, just found out that I wanted to do something in memory of my mother, created the foundation, and this year is our 22nd year raising awareness and funds for research and then for the management of the disease on an ongoing basis by by different patients. Well, Sean, why do you think so many people, not just athletes, support your foundation's efforts? You know, um, I, I think it's part of being a member of the community, um, whether you're an athlete or you're just someone that lives in the community. You, you know, a lot of us want to help others, especially um, others that are looking and seeking help. Um, I just relied on some of my friends in the, in the sports community to, to really be able to help me on this awareness campaign is just sharing the message. And incidentally, um, the. Minister of Defense, Reggie White, who played for the Green Bay Packers and the Charlotte Panthers, right, went to right, University uh-huh. of Tennessee. 
also passed away with the disease also. Wow. Bernie Mac passed away with the disease. Uh, so there's, there's quite a few people that have it. You know, I, I basically said to myself, if I can get you to understand that it's in the pulmonary family and it's the name of it is sarcoidosis, you're going to find somebody that you're friends with, related to, or work with that have the disease. Well, let me ask you this. Is this related to um, not sleep apnea, apnea? Maybe sleep apnea. So in Reggie White's um, situation, he passed away in his sleep. Because the disease has a big question mark centered around it, a big mystery, um, they chose to embrace the sleep apnea. Uh, but actually, he had pulmonary, uh, excuse me, he had sarcoidosis affect the electric stimuli in his heart. Mm. And so it affected the, the, the functioning of that organ. But um, uh, it, it does not, it, it is not associated with sleep apnea. Okay. Uh, Sean, where did the creation of the flip-flop festivals come from? So, Hondo, in the first 10 years of our organization, we, we had a golf tournament that we hosted. It was up at Hayfields Country Club in Hunt Valley. It was a brand-new course owned by the same family that owned Turf Valley. And so yeah. with getting out on an awareness campaign, I just basically chose the golf tournament as a as a event that could help me do that, and then I'd be able to spread the awareness with people and really get the word out about sarcoidosis. Uh, in 2008-2009, financial crisis came. Uh, it was more of a challenge for companies and individuals to support golf tournaments because people, you know, had lost 25% of their 401k and things right, of that right. nature. So I had to create a, a another event that maybe would be open to someone that maybe doesn't know how to play golf, you know, but it'd be open to uh, many more other people. I could touch more people. And so we wanted it to be something different. We didn't want it you, you to have to wear a coat and tie or wear a tuxedo or thing. So I just started thinking, sitting in the inner harbor, you know, what usually puts a smile on your face when you go to the Caribbean islands, Jamaica, Montego Bay. And then I say, well, what are you, what are you wearing? Flip flops, uh, shorts, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, sundress, Right. Tommy Bahama shirt, smoking a cigar, eating a uh, uh, e eating some, you know, Caribbean food or something like that. So I said, you know what, why don't we create a, a, a fun event that, you, you know, was festive and, you know, and then it was casual and you could wear flip flops. And what about flip flop festivus? And and so it just stuck. And then somebody raised their hand and said, well, wait a minute. Festivus is synonymous with the Ravens winning the Super Bowl. Because uh, on a Einstein, um, a um, what was the name of that show? Um, um, gosh, I can't remember it. There was a there was a sitcom TV show that um, Seinfeld. Seinfeld. That was it. Seinfeld. Thank you okay. very much. Costanza didn't want to go to work. He created a a holiday, named it Festivus, so he could stay home. <laughs> One of the Ravens offensive linemen was watching the episode. And during that year, I think it was December, Brian Billick, the head coach at the time for the Ravens, did not want the players to say anything about playoffs. He wanted them to concentrate and take it game by game. So right. they started using Festivus in, in place of the playoffs. And oh. so then Festivus became Festivus Maximus. They go on to win the Super Bowl. And so my idea was 
to connect with the players, the community in Baltimore, and to create more of an uh, audience. I tapped right. the shoulder on some of my buddies that played on that team, and I invited them to come out, and we called it a kickoff to the NFL season, flip-flop festivus <laughs> in the Inner Harbor, and oh, uh, it, it was spectacular. Still going on today. Oh, wow. So so who were some – who were some of the Ravens that uh, maybe helped you out or came out to support you? Well, you know, Hondo is very fortunate to to have these guys, you know, participate with me and and still be connected. But we uh, yeah. we had Jonathan Ogden, uh, Matt Stover, Mike Flynn, Brad Jackson, wow. Andre Ishmael, oh. Marshall Yonda, Michael McCrary. Uh, in the early oh. days, uh, Steve Bashotti supported me, right. as well as some other people in the media in the community, including you know Pete Gilbert, Mark Viviano, Kurt McEwen from 98 Rock. Uh, everybody just really was very nice. We had some ESPN guys come in also into town and help. Uh, it was just it was a really really nice party that uh, that we hosted, and it was a lot of fun. Man, that's excellent. Sean, you mentioned your golf tournament. Did- did you bring your golf tournament back this year? Or? Hondo, this year was the first time that we brought it back. Okay. Uh, we had a patient. We had an individual reach out to me in the summer of 2019 that had pulmonary sarcoidosis. He was a State Farm agent here in the Owings Mills area of Maryland. Mm-hmm. Wanted to find out a little bit more about it and then, more importantly, do something. So he joined the committee for the Flip Flop Festivus and um, helped us. Uh, raise a significant amount of money in 2019 and then unfortunately 2020 Mm. um, he uh, took a turn for the worse and uh, we lost him in December of 2020 Um. so his wife uh, knowing that he was a golfer wanted to see if I would consider bringing the golf tournament back the drive for the cure golf tournament and so we did that we just did that on October the 19th at the Woodlands Golf Course here in uh, Baltimore, and it was a significant success. Happy to tell you we were able to raise over $67,000 at this golf tournament. Wow. Yep. That is amazing, Sean. Yeah, yeah. Truly blessed, Hondo. Yes, yes. Uh, The money is going to go to help quite a few patients that suffer with the disease, um, and, and, and they have to really manage not only their health care, manage uh, different specialists that they have to go see, the medications. Uh, there's a lot of coordination that needs to take place, and there's just a lot of question marks that exist. Most primary care physicians are unaware of sarcoidosis. Maybe they've heard about it in, the, in their studies, but having a patient that has to deal with it on a day-to-day basis is oftentimes the challenge. And so this individual gets misdiagnosed. Uh, because the symptoms look like MS, look like lupus, and just people aren't familiar with it. So Hmm. the fortunate thing here in Baltimore, we have some very high-quality research and hospitals and talented physicians that we have to deal with. But think about the the different areas of the country where the hospital is five hours away, and you're in a small town, and you have the disease. Um, our, Our connection to the to the web allows us to make connections uh, with their primary care physicians. Oftentimes we've paid for people to fly into Baltimore to, to get seen. And we just try to be oh. a resource and provide the tools that are going to allow them to manage their care. Oh man. Very important. So my, um, my mother 
passed away from cancer and had a number of friends, you know, with cancer that had cancer. And, and when I retired, I did a, I did a retirement fundraiser for our, our recently built cancer center here in Berlin. So I was on much on a smaller scale than you were, but we, I was still thinking about my mother. Yeah. And Sean, um, tell my listeners about your take your breath for some sarcoidosis 5k race and 1k walk. So, um, you, um, you, you mentioned that, you know, you only have one mother and, uh, only one mother, right. My hope is that she's proud. And my hope is that I keep her spirit alive. And each and every year I get to talk about her each and every year I get to celebrate her birthday. And, uh, and, and the foundation allows me to do that. The take a breath 5k was yeah. our effort to create an event that you didn't have to play golf. You didn't have to, you know, in a, a go to a gala, but we really wanted to really push more of a health conscious event where you could bring your family out. You could bring, you know, your partner out to be able to exercise. And right. so an important part to managing our disease is you got to, you got to eat right. You know, we'd love for you to be healthy. We'd love for you to exercise. We'd love for you to enjoy life. We'd love for you to put a smile on your face. This 5K, and it's either a walk or a run, allows you to do that, and you can be outside, and you can join others. Now, within the last two years, because of COVID, we've had to do things virtually, and that's been an enormous success with reaching people, not only in our community here in the DMV, Baltimore area, but reaching around the United States. Our 5K had 18 people. No. 43 states represented, excuse me, 43 states represented that participated in our 5K from around the country. So you could do it. You could race from wherever you were. And it was very, very exciting. That's outstanding. Outstanding. Um, John, I recently found out that you had a speaker series for uh, sarcoidosis. uh, And you also had an official uh, speaker series for basketball. Tell me a little bit about both series. So, um, and I just, you know, add on to the last 18 months with COVID have really prevented a lot of in-person gatherings. So from the foundation standpoint, we were able to do that 5K virtually. What I also did is understanding that when COVID hit, it hurt our patients, especially those that are affected in their pulmonary area. So I introduced a speaker series over Zoom where monthly we would bring in speakers that were experts from around the country that were able to really showcase specific areas of help for these patients, whether it's, you know, supplements or uh, what is COVID-19 and what does it mean to you with somebody that has sarcoidosis. Um, We did uh, some uh, related information on the boosters and things that are uh, timely, how to cook and prepare, how to exercise, how to breathe, various podcasts that we did. We created a YouTube library of those replays, so they're available. Um, wow. I'll give you some information on the website and where you can find some of that stuff. But, but then, in turn, with basketball, for the last 17 years, I've hosted a uh, basketball officials camp in the summertime, just trying to give back to those individuals, those individuals that helped me move on from my basketball career. So especially here in Baltimore and Eastern Shore, Maryland, 
right. um, gave officials an opportunity to learn. So I kind of reached out to some of my buddies that are top level NCAA final four officials and I brought them in town. So we have, we had a camp in conjunction with the university of Maryland, coach Turgeon's camp and coach Gary at Towson university. But again, over the last 18 months, we haven't been able to do those in person. So right. I in turn did a zoom speaker series for those individuals also. And I just brought in top level NBA officials, college officials, I brought in some coaches and uh, in, in one instance, which was our encore presentation last week, we brought in coach Gary Williams, the hall of famer to come. Oh, in. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the topic was really centered around, you know, how officials deal with coaches, communicate with coaches and, you know, how do you deal with the veteran coach? How do you deal with the, the new coach, the coach that just got the job and what they're looking for. And it's just an effort for officials to learn a little bit more of how to approach the game and how the game is viewed from the coach's eyes. Yeah, I was going to ask you about what what uh, Coach Williams focused on, but uh, that's that's perfect. Yeah, he was just, you know, work hard, be fair, call it down the middle, um, you know, ha- have trust and confidence. You're the guardian of the game, you know, so balancing it and calling it right down the middle and uh, giving, giving, you know, each team – an equal chance to win, you know, and then, you know, he, he, he gave us some ideas on communication, how you could do that, why that's important. Um, so, it, it, and then, you know, a little bit of the X's and O's, you know, as an official, you have to understand the game of basketball. So you're not interrupting the game, you know, you are, you are managing the game. And so we, we really had a good discussion and um, had a good time with him. Good. Uh, so, Tell the listeners a little bit about your upbringing, maybe where you grew up, and if you played any sports before high school. Well, um, Hondo, I'm a military. My dad was a military guy, so I was oh. very brat, as you call it. So we moved around the country quite a bit. Right. Um, but we were stationed at uh, Fort Meade, uh, which is right outside of Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, that's where I kind of grew up and everything. And I played uh, soccer, baseball. Uh, football, basketball, all growing up. Once I got to high school, I just concentrated on soccer and baseball. I was fortunate to make the all-met team in uh, Prince George's County and uh, chose Salisbury University, which was Salisbury State College at the time, because I wanted to play both sports. I wanted to play baseball and soccer in college. And um, and I was thinking about University of Maryland, but I had to walk on and make those teams Right. So um, I think Salisbury gave me a, a, a nice opportunity to do both, and which I did there. And uh, that's really how I got started with officiating. I, I would referee the intramurals games during college. Right at school. Okay. And uh, learned a lot about the game. And one of the baseball players, you may know him, Dave Funk. Yes. Uh, was, was the person that led the class teaching us how to referee. And uh, he uh-huh. saw my baseball jacket and said, you know, hey, if you ever want to referee uh high school basketball uh let me know and i called him up and he was the first guy i refereed with it was a girls game at snow hill high school oh my goodness that's amazing Uh, still remember it full circle and dave funk used to be one of my roommates oh is that right (laughs) (laughs) hey um but what high school did you go to frederick douglas high school in prince george's county upper marlboro maryland okay yep um, 
do you have um uh, that's, that's that's funny um do you have any sports memories that you would like to share when you were young, you know growing up high school um you know i one of the biggest joys i had was um scoring the winning goal to um win the county championship game when i was a senior in in uh in high school that was we had a really good team and uh you know, did a lot of nice things, you know, uh, but I would say, you know, one of the highlights, you know, besides the foundation and creating that and then helping people across the nation, um, I, I think, you know, if it were basketball, it's just being connected. I'm so fortunate to be able to do that and meet people and travel to places that I would have never done and met. Um, but I was, I was fortunate to do a Duke Carolina game uh, and understanding the level of, of that rivalry up and close, and it would be a cherished memory. But, you know, after that, I officiated the game uh, after the passing of Dean Smith. And um, it was like maybe a week later, and it was in February, and the University of North Carolina was playing Georgia Tech at Carolina. And they told us uh, off the tip uh, – Carolina's going to win the tip and they're going to go immediately into the four corners and oh. just being able to be in that picture. Oh, well, there's well, a picture from the, from the, the ceiling on the yeah, roof that, yes. that painted that final four. And just to, just to have that history and know uh. what that meant to the ACC and basketball and college basketball in a sense was, was really nice to be a part of that. And man, you had an opportunity to be a part of it. That was, that was definitely history. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you, you know, interviews at Salisbury in high school uh, with Dave Funk. What? How did you get into college officiating? Um, I, you know, I just, I always wanted to learn, you know, and I always wanted to do it better. So, you know, I refereeing in intramurals. I try to do as many games as possible. You know, that graduated to doing the, the summer leagues or doing the JUCO, doing the Division two, II, Division three. Okay. And then I, I found out that there were camps that you could go to in the summertime to, to right. be a better official. So at that time, I was just refereeing on the Eastern Shore, Ocean mm-hmm. City, um, and, and traveling around to all those schools and everything and interacting with all those coaches and everything. Right. And uh and, and the camp I went to was the five-star basketball camp <laughs> that was held in Pittsburgh out, out uh, uh, near the airport and uh, didn't know anything about it. But once I got up there, it was like a who's who of high school uh, athlete that's trying to get a, a scholarship. So Garfinkel had a, quite a few kids that he brought in there across the country. So that's where all the co- college coaches would come to recruit is that five-star basketball camp. Well, in conjunction with that camp, the uh, Atlantic Coast Conference supervisor of men's basketball officials would host his referee camp in conjunction with that camp. So we'd referee those games. Okay. So then, um, you know, I went there for maybe five years, went to three camps a summer for five years, and uh, finally got in um, when I was 27 into the Atlantic Coast Conference. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Let's wow. just say I've refereed a couple people <laughs> that have gone <laughs> through the league that are in the NBA right now. Wow. 
Well, let me um, let me ask you. Yes, I'm probably yeah, definitely had a, a few that's in the NBA right now. Um, what uh, what was your degree at Salisbury in? So, Hondo, I majored in accounting. So I had a BS accounting major. I was going in the FBI. Um, okay. When I graduated Salisbury, I had two two choices. I could be an accountant or I could go. I got hired at, um, with Fairfax County to be a police officer there. And I was going to do two years, either accounting or uh, for Fairfax County. And then I was going in the FBI. But that's that's where my center was. And then I started refereeing basketball. <laughs> and love, fell in love with it. Yeah, I found out you can't, uh, you know, tax seasons, basketball season, and law enforcement. You had no control, especially federally, right. of your of your calendar. So I I realized I needed a flexible job if I had any goal of trying to officiate, you know, college basketball or someday make it to the NBA. Right. So so what was your first? job out of college a full-time job out of college so i worked in ocean city for shell heritage resorts which was a timeshare company right there by the bonfire okay so i got hired as a junior accountant and um you know that organization they you know developed the land they sold the property they managed it they did everything and then they sold the timeshare units so my um you know, the guy that hired me was a um, a really good businessman, a real estate guy. They taught me a lot. Um, you know, I was able to buy my first home two years after after buying after working for them. You know, they really Hello. taught me a lot about business and a lot about, you know, managing your affairs and, you know, setting up your career. So they were really good role models. So obviously you moved on from Ocean City at, at some time. Where did you go next? So, um, again, working, I worked for that firm for maybe uh, three years. Mm-hmm. And then I found out that, um, you know, I needed more of a flexible job. And um, I got into the insurance business uh, with New York Life. My best friend married um, uh, a young lady that went to the University of Maryland. And her bride, her, the bride, the, the, um, her bridesmaid, had just gotten a, a managerial job with New York Life in Tyson's Corner, Virginia. So okay. you're talking about really wanting it, uh, Hondo. I lived <laughs> in Ocean City, and I drove three hours every Monday to Tyson's Corner, Virginia, for my <laughs> training for eight months. Oh, my goodness. And, and then I, in turn, you know, after that, came back to Ocean City to see if I could sell some insurance policies in Ocean City <laughs> in the wintertime. Wow. Uh, so, no. yeah, it's uh, needless to say, I still worked at uh, the Green Turtle and helped yeah. Steve Pappas and Tommy Dickinson out. And, you know, was part of that family, which was really good. Really, if I could have done it, I would have wanted to stay in Ocean City. Um, I, I was going to ask you about Green Turtle. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah I um, missed those days. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, as you mentioned, that you, you have been in in the ACC basketball officials uh, uh, basketball league for a good while and many other conferences. And you met so many division one players like my good friend, Oliver Purnell and Mike Tessessa and Gary Williams, as you, as you mentioned. 
Uh, is there any coach that seems kind of unique to you? You know, it's it's funny. All of them do. They all have a uniqueness to themselves, right? And then, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's that veteran coach versus the the, the young coach. You know, it's right. they all have different personalities wanting different things. I think, you know, the beauty uh, – this is almost year 30 for me in Division One basketball. It's just yes, being sir. able to communicate, yeah. being believable, being honest and transparent, and being yeah. able to manage. You know, uh, each one of them taught me something different. You know, um, and it, you know, and I'm fortunate now that I've had players that I officiate that have gone on to be assistant coaches and now head coaches at, you know, BCS schools, and cool. so you can always relate to, you know, those type of um, relationships going forward. Whether it's Steve Wojciechowski or Jeff Capel, who's now at Pitt, there's just quite a few guys that you know, Jamon Christian, who's at GW. It's just a lot of guys getting their 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 chance and everything, and uh, I have to remind them when they used to play. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a lot of fun. That's why they play the games, right? It's a lot of fun, and you know, it's great to be a part of it. Now, I'm gonna ask you again: When you say that you supply officials for camps like Mike Turgeons and for the Terps and for Towson University's camp. What does that mean? So, uh, so you have you have um, the high school leagues in the area have officials that referee those games during the year, right? So, right. I have you know I I I've been able to connect with uh, a lot of those officials. A lot of those officials are were in the same light as I was when I was young in my career. Mm-hmm. I want to learn how to do it. I want to learn how to do it well. I want to be an expert in officiating so that I can take care of these games. So those officials are also looking for opportunities to learn. So whether it's refereeing the Baltimore Catholic League, the, the D.C. Uh, League, and or the Eastern Shore, or right. 157, or where, wherever it is, those officials right. are looking for opportunities to get better. So um, Coach Turgeon has a team camp that actually has made up a lot of those schools that come from all over and – so they need officials to referee those games. So I okay. host, in conjunction with his camp, I'll host a, a referee camp where we'll have, you know, video that we'll review. We'll review them on the court. We'll give them, you know, uh, tips and um, make adjustments to them so that they can become better officials. We'll teach them a little bit more about how to manage the game in a classroom setting and then be able to take it out to the court, evaluate them, give them a video to take home. And then they have that video that they can look at while they're preparing for the upcoming season. So that was the reason why I did the uh, the Zoom speaker series is that was my fall edition leading officials up to, you know, the season. So in that in that that Zoom series, I have officials that are in high school. I have officials that are in college, the G League, the NBA, wow. internationally with FIBA. I just. You know, most uh, really proud of this. I just had one of my officials that attended my 2018 camp just get hired by the NBA. Wow. And he's from Baltimore. That is great. How about that? That is great. Fantastic. Well, I know you've spoken a lot about sports, but Chuck, how has sports impacted your life? Well, I 
I think it's really get, given me a lot of connections to meet different people. Um, it, it, it has taught me how to be competitive, how to, uh, I think, be a good supporter and uh, a good partner, a good teammate, um, understanding the value of team. Um, you know, I get to do that in my day job now for PNC Bank. Um, right. I work for the, the, the private bank. I manage a team of 25 advisors. Wow. And, and then we take care of our, our clients' needs uh, from a personal level, whether it's them getting their first job or them looking at retirement and what are they going to do in retirement or how to, you know, accumulate their wealth and then how to pass that wealth on to their kids. So we we really get an opportunity to work together uh, to, to be able to do that. And it's, you know, it's not in a conceited way. It's, it's what can be a win-win situation. So, you know, sports has a unique way of doing that, bringing people together and yeah. uh, just, just happy to be a part of it. So what do you like most about officiating? Uh, Hondo is very competitive and uh, I try to be perfect in an imperfect situation. So, mm-hmm. You know, we right. try to be 96% accurate in each game we, 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 we officiate. Right. You know, sometimes it's, it's hard. They change the rules. You know, the athletes are getting better, bigger, stronger, faster. Wow. Um, and it is, you know, you have to do your, your due diligence. You know, you have to be uh, uh, on top of the rules. You have to watch your weight. You have to stay in shape. Each year, these kids are 18 years old. And so your ability to be able to uh, take that game and uh, and treat it like it's your last and, you know, give it to the kids and let the kids, you know, operate in an environment that's fair, you know, and right. uh, it, to be to try to do that uh, and try to do that in front of an audience of a nationally televised event. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little hard. Uh, I understand, man. It's a little hard. That's it's it's fantastic the work that you do. Yeah, thank you very much. So, what would you tell kids about following their dreams, young kids? Yeah, I you know, I I, I would say that they they all should dream, right? Uh, because if you don't dream, you, you can't have the vision of what it takes to get there. And don't let anybody tell you that you can't do anything. You know, it, some people want to be a professional athlete. Some people think that they're going to play basketball in, in college. Some people think they're going to play in high school. And sometimes those realities come and you can't do that. But for me, I turned it into, you know, something positive, I think, and with officiating. And, uh, and so I try to make that open and accessible to anybody that wants to try it. Um, and then, you know, inviting you to, um, you know, the sky is the limit. And if you can, you, you can reach for it, there's people out there that will help you get there. But if you could just work hard, you know, no one's going to give you anything. You, you have to go earn it and you, you should want to earn it. But um, there's a lot of positive people out there that can help be bridges, utilize your resources, um, ask good questions, um, be a student of any game that you're after. I try to tell them to, um, you know, school comes first, right? School comes right. before sports right. uh, because you, that is going to be your foundation to be able to do anything in sports. And so don't mess up the priorities, you know, right. is what I would tell them. Excellent.
So what role? You know, I'm a I'm a big proponent of uh, good sportsmanship in youth sports. What what role would you say good sportsmanship plays in youth sports? You know, I I think it's one of the most. It's it probably should be the priority, um, Hondo, is because you know that yeah. you you have certain coaches out there that are coaching to win, right? Versus, versus coaching to understand, right? So mm-hmm. then, oh, yes. I believe that the job of the coach is to prepare the player to be able to make decisions, and so it. it some of those decisions involved, you're not going to win every game. So it would be great to be able to teach them how to win with class and how to lose with class, right. you know, because when you lose, my hope is you, you, you're you learning what not to do. You're learning. Sometimes you get bad breaks, right? And sometimes right. you can't control anything. What you can control is your effort. What you can control is your ability um, to go 100%, be in the moment. So I would say that sportsmanship is really a high priority for me. And uh, it's something that as an official, I hold myself to. But then as I coach or as I see people, um, I, I oftentimes try to push that message also that that sportsmanship is will, will actually surface the leaders of tomorrow. So true. Absolutely. Shona, you're so busy. I don't know how you have any hobbies, but I do know you love golf. The, the is that your favorite hobby it is it is hondo i uh you know early on i i used to ski i used to do different things but you know with basketball you you, you kind of got to take care of yourself got to take care of your legs and everything so i just you know golf is my thing and uh it, another great opportunity to spend an afternoon or a morning with somebody you know for five hours for four hours what have you and right. you can really get to know somebody through that but um, I thoroughly enjoy it. I'm fortunate that I, I got my kids involved in it. And I'm yes. currently on the, uh, on the board of the first tee of Howard County. Oh, and, wow. um, you know, the, what it teaches kids, you know, from seven to 18 years old about manners, about confidence, sportsmanship, um, the ability mm-hmm. to understand how to, shake someone's hand, how to look them in the eye, how to tuck your shirt in, take your hat off, have respect, um, you know, are all good things for young kids, for young people to learn. And yeah. so just seeing what that program does for kids and, and the community is, is really something positive. Happy to be a part of that. Well, I love that program and eventually uh, we need to get more down on the Eastern Shore. Definitely. Um, but I also might want to invite you to our uh, golf tournament I have down here on East, in, the, in the Ocean City area. I'd love to come. I'll certainly let you know. Count me in. All right. <laughs> so, Sean, is there anything else you would like to add? You know, um, Hondo, I just wanted to thank you for, for bringing me on. It's, it, it's, it's fun for me to connect back to my Ocean City days and, and yeah. you know, the people that are in the area and, you were such an important part to the Ocean City Parks and Rec and that community and, um, you know, what you did over the number of years. And I'm just thinking about the impressions that you have made to some of those young folks out there and uh, who are now parents. Yes. <laughs> that, oh, that, yes. you, you know, and it's just it, it, it's amazing what you've done. But, you know, uh, I, I appreciate your partnership, your friendship and, uh, and you bringing me on here and 
you know, if there's ever anything I can do to help you or help the community down there, you just let me know. I certainly will, Sean. Um, and on that note, I think I'll bring our, po- our podcast to an end um, and plug my uh, sponsor for a second, but don't leave us. The 79th episode of the Hondo Handy Podcast has been brought to you by Ocean Valley, located just inside the South Gate of Ocean Pines on Nicholas Lane. Call ahead for your order and it will be ready. Call 410-208-3343 or find them on the web at southsidedallyop.com. But guest today has been Sean Hall. Thank you, Sean. I know. You're welcome. Hey, remember, if you think you can, you can. Stay safe and keep smiling.